They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is B. Jemine, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome to episode 30. Yep, that's right everyone, the milestone 30th episode of Bean vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where we dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, or in case of this year, official sequels to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead, across all media. Now, before we get into the topic at hand tonight, I want to make a little bit of an apology before we get things going. Originally, this episode was going to be on the two different cuts of the original Dawn of the Dead, which of course are the Khan extended cut and Dario Gento's zombie cut. But unfortunately, due to scheduling, we weren't able to record that episode. So that episode will be coming up next after this one. So stay tuned for that one. However, though, for this episode of the show, I am rejoined by a very special guest who is making his return after appearing on episode 28 of the show, in which we talked about the comic books Night of the Living Dead London, and as well as Night of the Living Dead Barbara Zombie Chronicles. And he is the co-host of the podcast Failure to Franchise, and that of course is Trevor Sider. Hello Trevor, and welcome back to Bead vs. the Living Dead. Oh, thank you, B. Thank you for having me back so soon, and on such a milestone episode too. I know it was another, it was another comic book one. So you sent up the the zombie signal in the Gotham sky, and I had to respond <laughs> to come back <laughs> into this. Exactly, exactly. Because what a lot of people will realize, since this year is going to be mainly focusing on everything that's kind of associated with Dawn of the Dead. However, mm-hmm. every few episodes of the show, we will be looking at other aspects of the film Night of the Living Dead. I got to say, Trevor, for most of the ones I'm going to be doing on Night of the Living Dead this year, just happened to be the comic book side of the franchise. And that's the thing, though. Like, when we did episode 28, talked about those two particular comic books that we discussed, that sort of, like, opened up the, the floodgates for me to kind of check out what other type of comic books tonight of the living dead are out there and i'm kind of surprised that there is so many out there and not just like in recent years but even all the way back in the early 90s yeah no i think i alluded to that last time i'm I'm really excited that you decided to do so many episodes because like you said there's so much material and i think it really speaks to i think that was a market that was one of the first to realize how kind of easy it was to exploit the name right i mean obviously mm. your podcast is based around the idea of like the copyright snafu and so not even dead going into the public domain and anyone doing what they want with it but in terms of making you know unofficial not even dead sequels in movie form 
you still need a budget. You still need to get a bunch of friends together to play zombies. You still need a location. But I think the comic book world realized pretty early on, well, actually, we can do whatever we want with the title and we just have to write it and draw it and produce it. So it's a little a little easier. And you definitely saw people take advantage of that early on. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing about, because having compiled this year's episode list together, particularly with, with the comic book side of things, which I know you'll be coming back for for a couple of those, it's been interesting kind of to see like how different so many of these comic books are. Like some of them have got people who are were actually involved with the original Night of the Living Dead as yeah. a part of their stories, like John A. Russo, who's actually was involved with quite a number of them. And even George A. Romero himself was involved or up a few comic books as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of interesting to kind of tackle all of them and kind of see what they bring to the legacy of Night of the Living Dead. Even if, I guess in the case of the comic book we're going to be talking about today, um, just really kind of using the title of the franchise. <laughs> yeah, I think it works out kind of well that you're, the first two episodes you're doing of like Night of the Living Dead comics are the ones we looked at last time, London and Barbara Chronicles, and then this one. Because already in just those two episodes, you're seeing kind of how wide the gamut is of what you can do with that name as like an IP, as a comic book. Because like, you know, London, we talked about two like real horror heavyweights with Barker and Niles putting their stamp on it and trying to be true to the Romero universe, but still do their own thing. And then obviously Barbara Zombie Chronicles had a character from the movie carryover. And then you have this series, which is just, as you just said, it's it's in name only. But, all, but mm. you know, that's kind of the spirit of how a lot of these Not Living Dead unofficial spinoffs and ripoffs and sequels are, right? You can just take that name and run with it. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I wouldn't be having this podcast if that wasn't the case. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we might as well get straight to it and talk about the comic in question, which of course is the 1994 four-issue comic book miniseries Night of the Living Dead. Which was written by Noel Hannon, illustrated by Rick Rowley, with lettering by Wizbag and coloring by Jim Whitney. And of course, the, the comic books did come out in 1994. And of course, it is based on Night of the Living Dead, created by George A. Romero, John A. Russo, and Image Ted. And the plot summary for this comic book, and I gotta admit, this is not the best plot summary I've read I was for this saying... comic <laughs> Yeah, it's like, but it's the only one I've been able to find, and that. And the plot summary for this four-issue <laughs> miniseries is, this is a different Fantico Night of the Living Dead from the, the 1991 one. This one is from 1994, consisted of three or four issues, and is sometimes referred to as Zombie Genesis. So yeah. that is the plot summary for these four <laughs> issues. I, I wish to my audience there was a better plot summary, <laughs> but that's well, the only one like I found. I want to come in and defend Beat a little because if people are hearing that and thinking, God, why did he say like three or four issues? Like, why does the plot synopsis not even know that? It's because actually it's strange that it is four issues, but the first issue is zero and then it's one, two, and three. So right off the bat, there's something confusing there. But Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Like essentially it is technically three issues, but as you said before, Trevor, there is an issue zero, which is kind of like a, a prelude story to the main events of, these first three comic books i was gonna say the other just important thing to mention is you mentioned in your synopsis how it's like the second night living dead fantico mm. series or i guess third actually and that's really important i think because fantico was a a very small like independent company comic company in the early 90s or late 80s into the early 90s 
But they they are the ones who published Night of Living Dead London, which we looked at last time. And I mentioned yep. in that episode that Night of Living Dead London for them was actually a sequel to their adaptation of the movie Night of Living Dead. So by this mm. point, they'd done two Night of Living Dead comics. I'm guessing both those sold very well for them, especially as a small company. And that's probably like the impetus to be like, oh, we, we got to exploit this this like name even more, you know, but then probably saying, OK, we wanted to do more with the name. We don't really have an idea connected to the movie anymore. What do we do? And then that's what we're about to take a look at. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, I mean, I won't be covering the original comic book adaptation of the yeah. of the film for this show, since it is a direct adaptation. Maybe at some point I will like to do both the prelude and epilogue comic books, since yeah. they're both original stories that were added to it. And of course, like you say, the epilogue one ties into Night of the Living Dead London. So, right. but that's the interesting thing about this comic book series, and we'll get into it shortly, is like, at least with the actual comic book adaptation of Night of the Living Dead and the follow-up London, even though, yeah, they were written by different people, of course, one being a direct adaptation of the film and the other written by Clive Barker and Steve Niles. Even the artwork to kind of show that these are both linked together even though mm -hmm. they are two separate stories however though this one which came out in 1994 the artwork and the story and the tone is so radically different from <laughs> those comics yeah. but i guess my question for you trevor is what are your thoughts on the 1994 comic miniseries of night of the living dead uh, my thoughts are it's going to be very fun to talk about with you mm. <laughs> i think that's like a, a good place to start um so if if you'll go back and listen to the previous episode I was on, I talked a little bit about how I had actually read Night of Living Dead London way back when it came out and then had forgotten about it and was like so glad we brought it back up because it was kind of a reminder of how good it was and like what mm. it kind of, you know, we, we both kind of came away thinking, oh, this is kind of like a unknown masterpiece, you know, people should take a look at this. Mm. What I remember about this comic is... I did buy the issue zero when it came out uh, in 94 because I was a huge Nothing Dead comic and I was kind of like jumping at the chance to get any Night Living Dead related stuff. And, you know, I'd read the I'd read that adaptation, the, the straight movie adaptation, I'd read London, enjoyed both of them. So I was definitely like in tune to like, OK, Fantico is doing more Nothing Dead stuff. And what I remember at the time is I read issue zero and was so disappointed in it and so kind of put off by what is this? This isn't Night of Living Dead. They're just using the name. I just, I was like so disappointed. I didn't read the, the other three issues. So honestly, mm -hmm. this is the first time I've read all four for, for your show. I would say I probably think I enjoyed it more today than I would have back then. Because I think back then I was really just wanting anything with the name Night of Living Dead on it to really feel in the spirit of Night of Living Dead. <laughs> and mm -hmm. like, like a real like sequel or follow-up or tribute to it. And I don't think that's what this is. I think this is almost like kind of cynical in its use of the name of the Living Dead. And I'm not here to say I even think it's a great comic, but I think today where I'm a little bit more willing to just have fun with silly kind of goofy stuff, uh, I found it to be an enjoyable read, even though I'm sure you and I are going to talk about some of the iffier elements of it. And it's just like kind of misguided nature of trying to be a Living Dead, you know, related piece of media. Um, so that's all to say... I think it's fun. I don't think it's good. I think that's an important mm. distinction. I think it's a bad comic that symbolizes a lot of what I don't like about this era of comic books. But I also think in a weird way that makes it kind of a fun, nostalgic thing to look back on today, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, this is my first time reading the comic. At first, I've, I kept seeing all the issue covers and I'm thinking, okay, doesn't really feel like Night of the Living Dead, but hopefully mm -hmm. once you kind of go into it and start reading it, it'll start to kind of have that feel. 
But I pretty much knew exactly what I was going in with this comic book within the first page of the comic, which basically has one of our main characters, Kate, in a bikini, and basically the the subtitle to this Zero issue is Attack of the Bikini Demons. Mm-hmm. So once I read that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of those type of comic books. Yeah, but- and it is. And it is, exactly, exactly. And however, though, once I started reading it, it definitely has no feel whatsoever to Night of the Living Dead. I'm not surprised that sometimes this series is referred to as Zombie Genesis, which I I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised this is a case where they had a completely different zombie series, had a, a completely different title, but then decided, you know what? Let's just slap Night of the Living Dead on this book. that way it has a bit more brand recognition i was wondering about that too i think you're dead on with that yeah i I would say so yeah i mean again i'm only speculating because i don't know the real Mm -hmm. reason based on the information that i've read but even then though it does feel like yeah kind of just slapping it on there for to get more money but even then though i gotta admit i actually enjoyed reading this comic book like it is incredibly silly and it just mm-hmm. gets even more progressively <laughs> sillier as it goes on. And even though we talked about Barbara Zombie Chronicles, which kind of is also took a much more sillier approach, but I feel like with that comic book, that one was trying to also be serious while adding all these kind of silly elements to it. But pretty much right off the bat with this comic book, from the very first page to the last, this comic book is not taking itself seriously at all it is just there to entertain its readers and just delivering this bizarre over-the-top fun zombie carnage and i gotta say i really enjoyed it overall like it it had a bunch of elements to it that i was not expecting (laughs) when i was sitting down to read it and i like the fact that it kind of just got more and more progressively uh insane as it went along i think that's the key i think that's the important part because remember i said that I read issue zero at the time and didn't like it enough to read the rest. Mm. And even today, when I sat down to read them all this morning, I read issue zero. And again, I was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember what I didn't like about this. But what you said about how it keeps getting sillier and sillier, I think that's really what made me kind of fall for it ultimately is that it doesn't keep the same tone. In fact, it just keeps making its tone more nuts and more insane. And that's when you realize, oh, they know what they're doing. They're having fun with this. This is really tongue in cheek. They're not trying to be serious. And it even gets into like, they start piling in more meta jokes as they go along. It starts to become almost more parody based. And once they realized that they were having fun and they were kind of taking the piss on the genre, then it was like, well, why? There's no reason not to just relax, chill out and have a good time with it. And so, and there's the other thing too, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, as we discuss like certain characters and things, but... There's something interesting because I mentioned how I think this comic represents a lot of what I didn't like about comics at the time in the the Mm -hmm. early to mid 90s, that kind of like overly extreme version of comics where all the women were just like, you know, drawn to be total sex symbols and all the men was like overly machismo. and It's like, you know, but a lot of it's funny because like a lot of the comics that did that unironically at the time and were like dead serious about it. When you look at them today, they almost read by as parody because we have like moved so far beyond that, you know. And so I think when you look at a book like this, which is which is already legitimately starting to poke fun at those tropes, I think they these yeah. guys were actually they already kind of were aware of how silly that was, and they were starting to like make fun of it a little bit. That makes it work even better because it's like not even I don't even think it's like unironically funny. I think some of this is actually legit funny because you know mm. they they know what they're making fun of. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I think it kind of tells you everything you need to know with this comic book and what the intention and approach that both uh, Noel Hannon and uh, Rick Rowling were doing with this book is again, like I said, on the very first page of issue zero, which of course had Night of the Living Dead with the subtitle Attack of the Bikini Demons. I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about what these guys' intention was for this comic book. Like making this, like I, one of the things I we talked about on the previous episode when we talked about Barbara Zombie Chronicles is that I kind of felt like with that comic book, it felt more like almost like a Grindhouse exploitation take mm-hmm. on Night of the Living Dead. This one definitely feels that as well, but I would say it has even more of, say, a quote-unquote B-movie feel. And, like, going for something, like, from the 60s and 70s, 60s or 80s, in terms of that kind of mixture. And I gotta say, like, I really enjoyed it overall. Like, I I definitely agree, like, especially with how certain characters are drawn, like, the men are definitely very buff or just very machismo-looking, and then you have women just mostly just dress scantily clad or put in positions where they're just there to be ogled by men yeah but at the same time though i can't get mad at it because like you say even though if it was meant to be played as serious when you kind of read it today it almost does feel like a parody of those type of comics yeah it's kind of like a win-win where like i said i really don't know i I didn't read any interviews of these guys like you i couldn't find any like real substantial background information so Mm. i don't know how like serious they were about the approach but like you said if they're serious it's funny because it still raises parody because we've moved beyond that but if they were also very aware of what they were doing and they were heightening all that stuff to like make it even more ridiculous then that Mm -hmm. works today too and that's kind of how it looks to me because it it does you know, you mentioned like the, the very first page has attacked the bikini demons, but also we're introduced to Kate and she's right away scantily uh, drawn. And we're even told like, oh, she's a cast member on Surfwatch. And that like places you in a very particular time. It goes, oh, they're making fun of Baywatch, you know, and it's like very, very like speaking to like that moment in the 90s. And so like, I don't know how, I don't know where their motivations were, but it reads funny either way because it is such a indictment of what comics were doing at this time, especially like the indie comic world where they were trying to like compete with the big boys, you know? So a lot of them would like really go in your face with sexuality and flat out nudity and violence because that's how they kind of could have their little niche in the market. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I guess we could go into the plot summaries of all these comic books so we'll start with issue zero since that is the precursor to the main one which of course is the issue uh, titled tack of the bikini demons and of course we're introduced to the character of kate who is on vacation at a place called uh chicken bone beach in haiti and she's just relaxing having a good time before she has to go back to the u.s to work on her tv show surf watch however though uh, she happens to get kidnapped by a cult. Then we're introduced to one of our other main characters, uh, Randy, and I'm probably going to butcher this character's last name, so pl- please forgive me if I do, which of course is Randy Von Richendofen. And I again, if I butchered the character's last name, I apologize. I'm just going to call him Randy <laughs> from now on. And he's on holidays as well, and then he meets... Uh, two women named Bianca and Amber who work for a friend of his name, Papa Shaker. And we discover pretty quickly that Randy is actually knows a lot about the occult and knows how he's in a way, he's kind of like this comic book's version of Constantine. So he's kind of like 
knows how to deal with the supernatural and he knows how how to fight them and defeat them as he and bianca and amber are just chilling out in the hot tub (laughs) at his holiday home he they overhear the sound of drumming going on outside so randy gets up to go have a look he fixes trouble brewing so he gets locked and loaded and ready to go has a massive gun that looks like the one from robocop and then he discovers that basically kate is there and she's tied up and this cold are uh, trying to resurrect what they call the bikini demons or at least this is the cult calling themselves the bikini demons and they're also trying to uh resurrect the dead to come out from the ocean to sac- and sacrifice kate to them however though randy manages to stop it manages to kill a few of the cult members and then kate manages to get away Although what's interesting, though, about the zombies, because we do get a couple of different designs for the zombies. We have some that have dressed up like pirates. There's one wearing an old-fashioned diver's suit. And then, of course, one that, of course, is wearing a bikini. And also, one of the weird things is during the ritual, as as this cult is organizing the resurrection of this dead, is that... They do use Kate's uh, bikinis as <laughs> as a summoning device, which I thought was bizarre. And then, of course, yeah. as this is going on, Kate has a run-in with one of the cult members and manages to defeat him by just basically kicking the guy in the balls. But as this is going on, Randy has run out of bullets, so he has to fight the zombies hand-to-hand. And I noticed in the panel of this comic book that, <laughs> that he's wearing a Sin City t-shirt underneath it and it's of course the one from frank you know the same one from frank miller's uh comic book series of the same name and as he is about to get killed by the zombies uh bianca and amber come out of the water dressed in just these magnificent swimsuits toting guns blowing away all the zombies randy is very thankful about that and after that everything is back to normal kate is flies back to the US to shoot her TV show. And I, I love the fact that basically one of her lines is on the uh on the plane is like, oh, I hope I never see another zombie as long as I live. Yeah, it did that poor choice of words, because let's just say that did that didn't work out for her. But anyways, though, but then we're introduced to two agents who work for a secret organization for the government called the Black Room. And they're now in charge of the satellite that was used for the Star Wars program. That kind of indicates where the story is going to go, because they say that they're going to be using the satellite for mind control. So we can only have an idea of where this comic is going to go in the next issue. But based on this uh, zero issue, Trevor, what did you think of it overall? I know you said that you read a bit of this back when it first like years ago, and you didn't think much of it. But now having read the entire first, oh, well, zero issue, I should say, what did you think of this one overall? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I could both see what I didn't like at the time, but like I said, today, kind of coming at it with a different, you know, a slightly different mindset, enjoy it a little bit more. It's really, there's not much to this issue. It's kind of, mm. it's very short. You know, it is just a zero issue and it, it's kind of in and out. Um, and so it's kind of like you said, it's almost just there to be a tone setter and tell you don't expect from Arrow's universe. Instead, you know, trying to highlight maybe the more insane uh, outlook they're taking on it. Mm. I mean, there are certain things like I was, I'm just like scrolling through it now and 
you know, it's it's strange to me that at the time I would have missed, I guess not that strange, because like I said, I think I just really wanted it to be like a real Night of the Living Dead comic. Mm. But I, I, I think there was a lot of humor in here, obvious humor that I didn't pick up on. Like you mentioned the cult actually wearing the bikinis on their heads when they do their summoning circle. And yep. then the fact that their summoning chant is actually like, they're doing the Beach Boys Kokomo, but their lyrics are <laughs> uh, Cthulhu, Black Mama, Oh, I Want to Take You to Valhalla, Torquemada, Come on, Pretty Mama. Like, okay, so... <laughs> When you read that, that's like an indication right there. Like, oh, okay. These writers, the writer and artist, they, they're not serious. You know, that is like, that's giving you permission to just laugh at this book and have a good time with it. And that's kind of how I took it this time. I think like of the four, this is probably my least favorite issue just because it is so short and because there's just kind of not much to it. It is just like, hey, here's Kate and here's Randy. And now these are going to be your main characters. Randy, you mentioned, uh, I definitely had the same thought of him being very Constantine-ish. And again, but he's also like very pitched and drawn in a way to be very emblematic of the bad boy character, uh, extreme, you know, hardcore man character that was really big in comics at the time. You mentioned him wearing the Sin City shirt. He's also got a little bit of like Marv from Sin City to him. Yep. Um, he's got like the the star tattoo in his face, which reminded me at this time. I think this was like around the same time where DC like relaunched Dr. Fate. And if people remember Dr. Fate from like the Black Adam movie recently, or yep. just like no Dr. Fate, he wears like that gold mask and everything. But I remember like with this point, they like relaunched Dr. Fate. It's like now a guy with like long hair and he had the onk like tattooed on his face. Like everyone wanted their characters to just look so badass back then, right? And he said, uh, he's he's got the trench coat, he's got the gigantic gun, he drives this like bitchin' car. It's like, all right. But again, he's pitched it so far into that that you realize it's parody, right? It, or it, it at least works that way. So yeah, I mean, I had a good time with this. It's just, it's too short to think anything more of it beyond, okay, it's just a, a fun little, just almost like what, 15 pages only story yep. that just gives you some basically sexy women, a guy with a big gun and some pretty decent illustrations of Randy blowing zombies heads off. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I gotta say, I enjoyed this issue as well. Like, I agree that it is very short, but hence why it's a zero issue, because you, usually those type of issues of comics always end up being more shorter than the actual official issues of the comic. But I enjoyed it overall as kind of a standalone story. Like, they could have done a little bit more with it, but as you say, there's so much weird elements to it and silliness to this first issue and i think it's a good one to read because it, it does kind of give you an idea what to expect from the rest of this series that it is not going to take itself seriously it's going to have a lot of humor it's funny you mentioned the sort of like the the cult doing their version of the kokomo lyrics i i didn't even pick that up when i was reading the comic i just thought that it was just picking random words <laughs> but now that i look at it i'm like oh yeah it basically is the lyrics to kokomo <laughs> mm -hmm. so i'm i'm kind of ashamed i didn't pick that up <laughs> but yeah i think it's a really good solid little zero issue that on its own is quite fun and kind of tells you exactly what you're going in for with this series so mm -hmm. we'll move right on to issue one the official issue one which of course has the subtitle of zombie genesis pretty much this comic book kind of opens when we're in mongolia where there's a family eating the youngest child just feels something's odd like he can't explain what it is and he feels like they're being watched and we find out that they are because the the black room agents are watching them via their satellite and they're about to do their first test 
to see how the satellite is working. But unfortunately, there's a malfunction. Something goes wrong. And of course, the satellite shoots a laser down in California. Then we're in California on the set of Surfwatch. Like you say, like you said earlier, it's obviously a play on Baywatch. Then as the director is shouting cut and asks where his star David is. And so an assistant goes to his trailer and finds him in there. Obviously, this character is <laughs> meant to be a parody or piss take on David Hasselhoff because he's just a massive diva. And then, the, of course, the laser hits the the set of the TV show and makes everyone go into a trance-like state. And as all this is happening, we're in we see two hang gliders flying above and we see two men who are flying them by the names of Fred and Phil. And they're sort of wondering what is going on. And so they land to find out what's happening and to provide some help. But then they find out pretty quickly that everyone on the set has been turned into a zombie. And also what's interesting too is that in this comic book series, some of the zombies actually talk. And they kind of do something similar like Return of the Living Dead, instead of shouting brains, they just shout out hunger. And then, of course, they try to escape. So they get into their dude mobile and drive off. Then we meet up with Kate, who's been kicked off a bus. She's yelling at the bus driver. And of course, we find out a little bit more about her. She tells him, oh, do, don't you know who I am? But the bus driver tells her, oh, yeah, well, I know. You're Kate Korish, ex-playmate, ex-porn star, and soon to be ex-surfwatch star. Pretty much the guy is a complete asshole to him. So she basically just stands on the side of the road. She sees a truck. She decides to kind of get its attention by walking around seductively to get the truck to stop. And then we realize that the truck is has a sign that says Romero's Removalist. <laughs> Obviously to put it in there to make reference to George A. Romero himself. And as the truck slows down and she peers inside... There are actually zombies within the truck and she's being attacked by them. But luckily, Phil and Fred, and I have to sort of state to our audience, how Fred's name is spelt in this comic is not what you expect. So when people hear Fred, they think F-R-E-D, but here it's written as P-H-R-E-D. Kind of play mm -hmm. it with Phil. So the guys see Kate being attacked. So they come up with an idea. They untie their surfboards. And then as their car is flinging around, the surfboards go flying and they impale a few of the zombies. So I thought that was like a really fun. Uh, Kate is very appreciative of their help. And, is, and she asks, what can we do? What can I do to thank you? And we, of course, being typical guys, they're like, well, and it's a, however, one of them's autographs later, let's just get the hell out of here. So they drive through town and see all the carnage that is being that is happening due to the zombie outbreak we're about at least about halfway through this issue of the comic but what do you think of this of the comic book so far yeah i mean like i said this you know if as long as you've had the tone properly set for you with issue zero <laughs> now you know what kind of what to expect and it's easier to kind of just jump into this and so this one also kind of just hits the ground running um and then like other like little things like again we start with the, the surf watch thing and a clear parody of david hasselhoff and as you said they're making fun of him from being a diva 
and being an asshole on set. And you're like, okay, so they're they're like pitching this towards, you know, parody and satire. Um, Phil and Fred is an obvious take on Bill and Ted. You know, you got yep. the two surf, like, you know, stoner guys. Um, Kate Koresh, even, I'm guessing her last name is probably coming from David Koresh. So they're doing like, a lot of like pop culture mm. references and everything with their characters. The Romero removal truck scene was interesting. The fact that tr- the zombies were driving trucks. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it's not like we need to keep saying like all the things that show that this isn't in the Romero universe. But, you know, there's these clear indications like, oh, they're not even like necessarily worried about rules or they're they're playing by their own rules. But also they don't even I don't think I think they're play, pretty like playing pretty fast and loose with them anyways. Yeah. I mean, I want to like I'm sure you know, as to be like one of the main questions I had with this book is throughout these next this issue and the next two the zombies are always created by this like satellite in space that we are told is a, a mind control project by the government mm. and so it'll beam down and it's supposed to take over people's minds but then i'm always wondering well why does that turn them into like instantly rotted zombies you know like oh, yeah. where you see the zombies they look like the traditional like return living dead zombies that have come out of the grave they don't even look like recently dead they look very very rotted so like even the the book's own logic doesn't really match up you know but Again, it's whatever complaints that whenever I bring up a complaint like that, I sound like the asshole. It's like, who cares? Like, just have fun with this. It is fun. You know, you said the surfboard decapitation is fun. Uh, The two guys like accidentally, you know, hang gliding into a like a TV set that's been taken over by zombies is fun. The making fun of Hasselhoff is fun. It's all just a good time. It's not like I said, it's it's silly. It's cheesy, but I'm I'm enjoying it at this point. Oh, yeah, I am as well. And yeah, I guess it's kind of like with it, it pretty much like we have already talked about it before having this established ridiculous tone and you're right though because especially when we see the paddle where after the laser is hit everyone on the set we just see them with white eyes they're not zombified at all they look like they are in a trance but it's as soon as phil and fred fly down to the ground and see what's going on that's when they basically have all just rotted into Mm -hmm. zombies and I'm, even I'm like thinking, well, that's a quick process of what's going on. Like, how how is this happening? But like you yeah. say, it's like the, the comic's internal logic is just like, fuck it. We're not having any logic whatsoever yeah. in this series. And we'll see more of that as it goes along. That's probably also a good time to mention, too, we haven't really talked about yet. And maybe we can just get it out of the way now is Rick Rollins' artwork. Because I think another thing for me when I read that Zero issue back when I was like 13 or 14 and it was just kind of like, oh, whatever, this looks like kind of like every indie comic that's on the shelf. You know, I I don't think I was that impressed with the art. And like certainly, you know, following the amazing art that Carlos Castro did with like the their adaptation in the Night of Dead London, that kind of like amazing painterly style. And then in Night of Dead London, he used like that kind of like photo mosaic work and everything. This could seem like kind of a a letdown from that, like kind of a step down. But I will say one thing about Rick Rollins' artwork is I can see why they would want the zombies to be these like rotted monstrosities because he's actually pretty awesome at drawing zombies. Like that's Mm. one thing like this is a very heightened cartoony artwork style. And I think it works for this book because the book is so silly. And I think like the black and white uh, element of it really like fits it well but i really do like the look of the zombies in this i think he draws like a great zombie splash page he draws great carnage like the scenes of carnage in this in these books are always really really fun and like really well done oh definitely definitely and as we kind of see as the the series goes on when he shows more and more of the zombies and believe me when we get to that third issue there's going to be a lot of insanity in that one but Mm -hmm. what i really like about his approach to the zombies with his illustrations is that a lot of the times the zombies feel more out of not a Romero zombie film, but more something like out of Return of the Living Dead Free, because there were a couple of zombies in there. It's like, 
oh, that feels like something that could have been out of that third entry in the franchise, especially or just a Brian use in the film in particular, mm-hmm. because they're just so well designed and also unique as zombies. And that was kind of the impression I got with these ones. And, and moving right along to the se- next part of the comic book. So where you see the Black Room agents, they're flying above in their helicopter. And so they send a team down to go get everything sorted out. And then we go back to Kate, Fred, and Phil. And they're just randomly, they're just, they're just having a shower. And they're just watching <laughs> get all soapy and everything like that. And uh, so again, you know, you got to, they're just putting that kind of ridiculousness in this comic book. And so afterwards, the guys are playing video games. Kate's just looking out over what's happening with the zombies. And then she gets grabbed. But luckily, the guy, one of the guys grabs a golf club, kills the zombie. And they manage to also get guns and start blowing them all away. And they kind of figured, oh, we, we need to do something. So one of the guys grabs a newspaper, looks through the classifieds, and finds the ad for for randy and and i love the fact that when you read the his classified it just says undead troubles if you're bothered by a banshee worried by werewolves or simply furious with freaks of any kind contact randy von reichenfuff and again if i butcher that character's last name please forgive me but i love the fact that again it's like oh it's like a simple thing just like again a working occultist this is a so he would obviously be in the paper but also this this ad also shows that not only are zombies in this world real, but also banshees, werewolves, or any other type of uh, supernatural being <laughs> are very much real in this world as well. So they call him and he answers the phone. And luckily he's close by. So he gets into his car, manages to get to where Kate and the others are, and manages to kill a whole bunch of zombies in the process in a very badass way kate recognizes him and is very appreciative that he saved her life again and then we're back to the black room agents they're kind of observing all this as is going on then of course uh randy kate phil and fred they try to figure out what to do next and then we also see how what the the Marines that were sent by the Black Room are doing, and they get overcome by zombies, and most of them are killed. Randy and the Kate and the others, they hatch a plan to bring all the zombies to a supermarket, and I like that we get a couple of paddles with them kind of distracting zombies. Well, one of the guys just has a long string of sausages that he manages to entice the zombies to chase after him, and even like Kate just uses her her boobs to kind of entice the zombies to come after her. So they manage to get all the zombies inside the supermarket. And once they're in there, they just like start eating meat and everything left and right. And I like the fact that when you look at some of the zombies, it's like their head is skeletal, but they still have very buff bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, though, one zombie manages to get in, but luckily Randy manages. Randy tries to fight it off, but he can't seem to but luckily kate uses a photocopier to (laughs) to crush the zombie's head so 
Well, it's not just any zombie. That's that's the David Hasselhoff zombie. Who oh, it is too. Is, that is right. Yes, yeah, his, that's right. his name is uh, David Weeniehoff. Oh, so. yes, that is right. That is right. I completely forgot about that. Um, <laughs> so it is the David Weeniehoff zombie. So she is happy to kind of kill him because she hates David's guts. So they get out of the supermarket. Randy has set ex- the gas throughout the the supermarket. And then as soon as they're outside, that's when Randy just turns his lighter on and throws it inside. And then the entire supermarket blows up. After that, we kind of go back to the black room agents who are in the helicopter observing everything that is going on. But then they find out that the satellite has fired again. And this time has fired somewhere in Florida at a fade park that looks mysteriously based on its outline like disney world so (laughs) so that is kind of the end of this first issue of the comic but what did you think of this second half of this comic book trevor the the main thing i want to say because i'm talking to the right person for this beat is i just wonder if you had the same thought like i said we have a we have zombies driving and then we have Mm -hmm. a scene where uh the the hero lead the zombies somewhere by putting like meat down and having them follow it and i was definitely just reading this going i think these guys are like nodding to return living dead part two <laughs> like uh, I, maybe... you know what i wouldn't be surprised now that i think yeah. about it you're, you're absolutely right it essentially mm-hmm. is exactly the same plan but instead of electrifying them but they just blow them up instead yeah and even like tone wise, right? Like, you know, I know like you and I are in the minority of enjoying Original Living Dead too, but I think this is like, I think a lot of like, what a lot of people don't like about that one is how silly that one pitches it and goes all in. And that's what this one's doing. You know, now obviously this one is going way more violent and ridiculous with like the sexuality and everything too, but it's just like so goofy. Yeah. I mean, you asked how I, I like the second half. The second half is just almost all violence and almost all yeah. carnage as would be the case with comics back then. And like I said, and especially in this world, this world of indie comics and trying to make their mark there. But as I said, I, I really like Rollins artwork when he is just drawing randy and kate destroying zombies i mean the the illustration of her smashing david uh, weeniehoff's head in with the photocopier <laughs> is awesome you know like the the visual of randy like running through the supermarket just punching zombies in the face so hard their their jaws are shattering off it's all super ridiculous it's all super nonsensical but it's just really really fun i mean i think the back half of this this issue if you if you're just coming for good old zombie killing mayhem, you're you're getting it here. So yeah, it's a this is this is a fun one. Oh yeah, definitely, and I agree with that. And it really much pretty much is just all cottage for here on out in the second half of this issue. And I do love the fact that when Kate is about to kill zombie David Weenieoff, she pretty much says to him, uh, "David, if your fans could only see you now, looks like you could do with a facial and a manicure. It's a crime." The sentence is death by photocopier. <laughs> there is some great like lines in in this series, and that was one of the ones that's made me laugh. And there's a few others as well, and I'll mention them when they pop up. But I, this comic book is not taking itself seriously at all. I mean, no. who would have thought that there would be a photocopier death? in a comic book called night of the living dead <laughs> yeah and, and and even the moment like even you said where when they call randy like first of all randy having like a, a personal ad like in the newspaper you know but even the fact that they call him they're getting attacked by zombies and they're like what are we going to do and he's like oh let's call this guy and he's, he lives close enough to where they call him while they're being attacked and he's there almost immediately you know like yeah. so the, this comic is not worried about realism in any sense and like if you can if you can understand that and turn your brain off and just have a good time i think i think that's the 
uh, the right way to approach it. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So we'll move right on to issue two, which just happens to have the subtitle of Zombie Vacation. Issue of the comic opens up with being at the fun park, and then we discovered that the fun park is Mickey the Moose. That is the, the, the character that is basically like this comic book's take on Mickey Mouse. And it's an entire park that's dedicated to that character. And then we introduce to a brother and sister. The little brother is eating manatee burgers. And <laughs> <laughs> which um, if you read the kind of the title of the side in the comic book frame, it just basically says catch them before they're extinct. And I'm really hoping that it's not actual manatees they're serving in that burger. But then again, it's hard to say. So we're introduced to this brother and sister and the laser hits the theme park. And then we go back to the black room agents know a little bit more about them now that they've sort of taken over this satellite from the Star Wars program and then weaponizing it. And now the satellite is just basically lost all control of everything. Pretty much, yeah, a lot of the attendees at this theme park are now starting to turn into zombies, except for this brother and sister. But then this comic book kind of goes even more insane because... Basically, the sister, scare, whose name's Lindy, she scares her little brother by pretending to be a zombie. And he's asking, like, why are you talking to me in that funny way? And she says, it's for the benefit of anyone who didn't buy the last issue. <laughs> in brackets, still available. Come on, let's go get some ice cream. And then the brother's like, what, what happened last issue? And she says, oh, the rain was accidentally test-fired on a California town called Santa Azalea. So... Pretty much this comic book has broken the fourth wall and referenced the previous issue of this comic book. And it knows it's a comic. We kind of go into the sister tells the brother about the events that happened in the previous comic book. And <laughs> but then they realize they're being surrounded by zombies. The brother's like, uh, we could become heroes. We could be like in a Spielberg movie. Kids can save the day. But then the sister has her head ripped off and i'm now noticing when looking at the panel is that she's wearing a bart simpson t-shirt as well <laughs> and then we move on from there to a news bulletin where we meet a reporter named amy jackson who is at mickey the moose world in florida and she's talking to the ceo arnold ebner and he kind of explains you know there's nothing going on it nothing's happening everything is fine there's no zombies and then the reporter does ask him uh how do you react to the claims that children have been banished and new members of your workforce well look dead and then as all this is going on and he's denying everything that is happening a zombie comes up behind them and that's when the news broadcast is goes out then we go back to randy who's just chilling out at home with his dog he is watching all of this happening on the news and he just brings it upon himself that, you know what, I might have to head down to Florida and do something about this. So he rings his friend, Papa Shaker, and asks him if he wanted to come down and join him and to take out these zombies. They have a chat about this. Papa Shaker's like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do this, but, but Randy manages to convince him. Randy gets into his car and he drives off. He goes to get it all sorted out by meeting Snaky Chris, who's a custom fender 
sorry, who worked, who's working on his car to customize it. And so he heads on the long trip across country to Florida to help out with the situation at Mickey the Moose World. And then we're introduced to the character of Tottinger or Toddy, and she is the daughter of the US president. She's there with a few of her friends and including some special agents. And we kind of get a real sense of this character. She is pretty much a bit of a brat. She is yelling at everyone, including uh, Mr. Edna as well. And then as all this is going on and she's just going through the park and enjoying herself, she gets attacked by a zombie. Then the agents try to save her, but one of the agents ends up getting bitten by a zombie and they manage to kill it. From there, we're introduced to the, the president. Again, this is not a very subtle illustration of the president because he looks exactly like Bill Clinton. As all this is going on, trying to figure out exactly what is going on, what has happened to his daughter. So he wants to get his daughter back and it calls in the military. Now, Randy, Papa Shaker and Bianca and Amber, they've made it to Florida. They see the zombie carnage everywhere. Then we're at Northern Florida and we're introduced to the general who is going to take out Mickey the Moose world and destroy it so that way the zombies don't escape. So Randy and the others, they go around, they start killing zombies left and right, and then we see a couple of uh, tourists who, who are attacked and killed by zombies. But Papa Shaker has an idea that can stop the zombies, then we're back to the president. He's still not happy, especially with his daughter still out there. And in the end, he decides, you know what, we're just going to have to organize a first strike on the theme park. And then we're back to Toddy in the park. And then we see her just going around with a gun. And one of the agents who is protecting her is basically suffering from PTSD and she is just like this pissed off about this. And so she just decides to leave and kill zombies left and right. Then we go back to Randy and Papa Shaker. Papa Shaker is doing a conjuring to organize a massive tidal wave to take out all the zombies in the park. So that works. They get inside Randy's car and drive off. And as the military arrives, they just get swooped up into the tidal wave as well. Mr. Ebner is watching all this unfold. And then he gets a call from the shareholders. He tells his assistant that he's unavailable. But then he, in the end, he ends up shooting himself in the head. And then the gang find Toddy. And again, she's just being just absolutely pissed off about everything that is happening and calling everyone weak. And then, of course, we go back to the president. And he's happy that Toddy's alive and now she is the... Because he really wanted Toddy to make a big name for herself by being a pop star or some kind of celebrity. But now after her whole experience in this story, she is basically wants to become a Marine colonel. So the president decides, you know what, we need to stop this satellite. So he organizes a mission called the Project Endgame, which in which, in which a jet is going to have a missile on it and it's going to go to space and destroy the satellite. However, though, once they fire the missile at the satellite, it barely damages the satellite, but the satellite is more out of control than ever and is now starting to shoot the laser at all different areas 
of the world. And that is where this issue of the comic ends. And uh, Trevor, your thoughts on this issue overall? Uh, this is like, this is my favorite issue of the series. This is the one that, you, at this point, you know what this book is. You know, you've read two issues, you're going to this one. I even feel like they they feel more confident in what the book is at this point. Um, mm. You mentioned like the manatee burger and like reading the sign where it says catch them before they go extinct. You mentioned like the meta humor, the that early joke with the girl, the sister, just knowing all this stuff about the previous issue, even though she wasn't mm. there to experience any of it. And her and her brother saying like, yeah, we can be the heroes and her immediately having her head ripped off. Like the comedy is like pitch perfect there. And then honestly, this issue is the one that I think does the best with like the comedy in terms of like the visuals every mm. pa- almost every panel that's inside the theme park if you look in the background or look off to the side there's some kind of little joke you know poking fun of consumerism or whatever like obvious satire of theme parks and of disney i mean you mentioned when you said would they introduce the president how it's not subtle that it's bill obviously it's bill clinton i mean yeah when we first meet him he also has his secretary down in his lap and then in the next panel she gets up and she's wiping her mouth you know um <laughs> I was actually kind of surprised and actually somewhat pleased that then, given the fact that this a lot of the humor and satire they're aiming for in parody is so on the nose, that the daughter character, the president's daughter, wasn't like an obvious parody of Chelsea Clinton, which obviously would have yeah. been the, the easy way to go. But I really, I'm really happy as someone who grew up in America around this time. Uh, and you probably know this a little bit too, Bede, but like the really crappy like approach towards Chelsea that our misogynistic press took was a lot of just making fun of her looks. Um, yep. And it was like really unfortunate and sad. And and I, and I they didn't do that here. Toddy is like a completely different kind of character, but I think she's a really interesting character. I think the, you know, this like spoiled brat who suddenly has to become like a militant and is like tougher than her secret service deployment and actually is like the toughest person there and, you know, takes out all the zombies. I think that's like a really fun character. One thing that you, the one thing you you miss your plot, like um, yep. breakdown is that the military also, after the tidal wave, the military comes and still bombs the park, even yeah. though the tidal, wave, <laughs> the tidal wave has taken care of the problem. So this one, even, you know, if you're looking for any elements of like, is there any Romero kind of element in these books? This issue is very much making fun of American uh, militarism, like, you know, in, in, militarism in terms of how ridiculous the general is and how the president's answer to everything is just bomb it. And, you know, he yep. has the whole rant where he's like, we have to win again, like we did in World War II and in Vietnam. And even his advisors are like, he knows we've lost in Vietnam, right? So this is kind of, <laughs> you know, this is kind of poking fun at America in, in, a, in, a, in a way that it should. Yeah, I think this is this is just a really funny, you know, anytime you're like making fun of, you know, like I said, the, the over-consumerism of Disney and theme parks and the American military and Bill Clinton, there's a lot of easy targets in this issue, but I think they're having a, a really good time with it. And again, and then all the zombie like carnage is like fun to look at. So yeah, this one, uh, even though Kate, one of our main characters, isn't in this issue, I still think it's a it's it's the to me the highlight issue personally. Oh yeah, I can agree with that as well. I think out of all the issues of this uh, series, and I enjoyed all of them. This one I would say is definitely my favorite of the bunch because of mm-hmm. the of everything you just said. The fact that it does satirize Disney and theme parks and also has that sort of meta humor to it. And you're right though, now that I sort of think about it, it definitely is the closest to out of all the issues that kind of goes for that social commentary that Romero yeah. was known for. But of course, doing it in a much more ridiculous way with this issue. But I also kind of realize, and to my surprise, that for even though our main characters are featured a lot in these comic books, like each issue kind of feels almost like an anthology, like a different mm-hmm. story. Where I mean, Phil and Fred aren't in this issue. Actually, they're only in the issue one, and we never see those characters ever again. 
So that's kind of the interesting thing about this series is like, yeah, Randy's in all the issues. Kate isn't isn't about well, I guess she is technically in all of them, but only in flashback form in this issue. So she's yeah. technically in three of these four issues. But yeah, all the other characters, like even ones who have survived, really don't make a comeback in the rest of the series. So it's kind of interesting that it kind of takes more of an anthology approach with this series. But yeah, I think in terms of the artwork, I think the artwork in this issue in particular is really well done. I like the designs and how uh, Rawlings kind of satirizes everything and you know what you're absolutely right about the military even after when the theme park has been destroyed by the tie by tidal wave they just still decide to blow up the theme park anyway but to be fair this is probably the only paddle where so much is going on in the paddle that oh, i know I'm confused in it and i'm like i just saw the helicopter and the tidal wave but i didn't see any of the explosion so that's probably why i didn't bring it up because i was a little confused by that because some panels i will admit as good as the artwork is some of it when it's clashing together with so much it almost looks a bit messy and it's hard to tell what's going on in terms of detail of these panels yeah but that's one thing i noticed about ron's artwork too is there are some panels that are like really really well done you can tell he took his time with like he came up with this like idea for some you know uh like Im image of chaos and he's very proud of it and then there are some panels which are like very quickly tossed off. You know, if you go like, if you go look at the panel of Toddy training to be like a Marine Colonel, that's like not the greatest illustration. It looks like something he drew very, very quickly compared to some of the other. And I think it's, it's very clear what Rawlings likes to draw. It's very clear. Mm -hmm. He likes to draw the zombies and all the mayhem and some of the just kind of more story driven panels sometimes suffer a little bit for that, but still, I, you know, we're also here to see the carnage. So it's good that that's where, you know, most of its attention goes. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we'll move on to the third issue, which is also the final issue for this series. And of course, the subtitle for this one is Zombie Apocalypse. And so this one opens with the president giving an address to the nation about the zombie apocalypse. That's pretty much how this starts. And then we go to different places in the world where the zombies are starting to rise up. We get one where in France, we see a father and his daughter going to their late mother's grave. And then her dead body just comes out out of the grave, <laughs> calling out hunger. And then we go to Germany where we see a bunch of neo-Nazis going to a grocery store and they get attacked by a zombie. And then we go to other parts of the world like London, Tokyo, Madrid, and Pisa, and we see that the zombie outbreak is just spread across the world. And then we go back to Chicken Bone Beach in Haiti, and we see Randy and Papa Shaker just hanging out, having a good time. But luckily, the zombies haven't attacked Haiti because Papa Shaker has managed to put a spell on the island, so the zombies are repelled from coming to there. So they're pretty much chilling and relaxing. Ebba comes out and says that uh, the phone is rung, and the president wants to talk to Randy. So he gets on the phone to the president. The president tells him he needs his help with the zombies. But Randy says that this is beyond even his capabilities, since this is not a small isolated incident. This is a worldwide epidemic. That being said, but he wants to know like how all this happened. So the president pretty much gives him details of everything that happened. Randy just says, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with all those uh, <laughs> incidents. Pretty much uh, the president kind of pleads with him to join him because he is 
organize a military group called SCUD, which stands for Specialists of Cannibal Undead Destruction, and he wants Randy to join the group as the occult expert of the team. Randy, once again, is he's not interested, and he's like, oh, have you considered just using nuclear weapons to just take out the zombies? The president just makes one last plea to him to join the team, and then Randy reluctantly agrees. And so the president decides we'll send the helicopter to go pick him up. Randy asks Papa Shaker, Bianca, and Amber if, if they want to join him on the mission. Papa Shaker says that he and the girls are going to skip this mission out and just enjoy relaxation on their zombie-free island. So the helicopter picks up Randy, takes him to the Scud base, and we're introduced to General Powers. And then he goes to introduce randy to the mission's leader and we find out that it's actually kate kate is now lieutenant kate korish and she's now part of this team and we and, and it's very clear since the events of issue one a lot has happened to kate and i i, I don't know in quick succession <laughs> kate has now become a lieutenant of a military army team so i mean i don't know what the timeline of this comic book series is but it just feels like it's only taking course over the last couple of days or so yeah. so <laughs> yeah. which but again it's the kind of the ridiculousness of the comic book and you kind of just got to go with it they have a chat and so she introduces randy to the rest of the team that includes uh jane redhawk who is a native american woman who's an explosives expert and is also spiritually attuned and also there's jimmy woo not the Jimmy Woo from the from Marvel Comics, a completely different Jimmy Woo, who is a martial arts grandmaster whose students were massacred by by zombies, and he wants to take revenge. Then we meet Waylon, the kid Coriol, a reformed mob hitman and sniper and weapons expert, and then of course Charlie Lunk Lukowski. A U.S. Marine who weighs over two hundred fifty pounds and. <laughs> And then we're also introduced to the science member of the team, which is Dr. Newton. And I don't know about you, Trevor, but is it just me or does the illustration of Dr. Newton look exactly like George A. Romero? Yeah, it kind of has a George A. Romero. It also kind of looks like it's like a mix of Romero, but also like the character that John Amplis played in Day of the Dead, you know, the scientist mm. down in the bunker. Um, so I don't know which one they're aiming for, but he's definitely got like the Romero glasses and yeah, it's probably, it's, that's probably where they were aiming for, you know, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also we find out from Dr. Newton that they have developed an antidote ray that actually reverses the zombification of two out of three zombies. So at least I guess when I read that, I'm like, okay, so basically like you could easily save the world with this, uh, antidote ray. However, though, for the zombies that they can't turn back, they've also created another weapon against the ones that are resilient to being regenerated back to their human form. They created a weapon called the Hex Bazooka, which is this large weapon that can just obliterate zombies in one go and just basically turns them into ash. So they have a meeting. They know they've got to learn about the mission and what they need to do. And during the meeting, they find out that they have some intelligence from Europe about a second wave of zombification uh, that is happening in Berlin. 
where they believe that the zombies are organically generated. Kadox, what is she what do they mean by that? Is that General Powers tells them that the zombies are breeding and they're going to assign the team to go to Berlin to stop these zombies from breeding and creating new zombies. So the gang get into the helicopter, they fly to Berlin and they hold up base in a building and they just pretty much organize setting up what their mission is going to be. Now, uh, Trevor, your thoughts on this first half of issue three. The, yeah, I mean, it's it's still kind of fun. I think this is the one, this is the issue, and we'll probably talk more about this in the second half, so I don't want to say too much yet. Mm. This is the first issue of the, like, the, the one of the bunch where I think maybe there's almost too much going on here, and it, like, pushes mm. itself a little too far with, like, not if not if not necessarily the comedy, which is actually a little pitched down this time compared yeah. to the last issue, but with, like, the ideas and the the visuals of the zombies and the things they're doing with, like, the mythology, it's it's throwing a lot at you. So, I, like I said, I, you have to laugh at, like, Kate becoming, like, a military commander and, like, as you said, the span of a couple days, you know. You kind of have to laugh at the ridiculousness of the team, even though it definitely is playing on some, you know, like, racist stereotypes. Like, oh, yeah. the the Native American woman, she's the, she's in tune with, like, ghosts. And the Asian guy, he's the martial arts expert. And the, the black member, he's an ex-gang member. And it's like, oh, all right. But again it's hard to say is that just like of the time or is that them making fun of the things that were at the time mm. and the reason i wonder about that is you mentioned like the hex bazooka this gigantic weapon that they say is so cumbersome it's meant to be vehicle mounted and then lunk the the big marine he just is like well let me handle that and he just picks it up and fires it and that was <laughs> had me thinking of like how at this time you know like the big cliche in comics was the characters like cable like that kind of rob liefeld special of the characters who carry these like ridiculously gigantic guns that no one could really hold. And so this seems to be making fun of that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, there's like not as fun as the last issue, but mm. this first half is like setting up what's to come fairly well. And I'm always a sucker for like a, like a mission, you know, <laughs> like a bunch of people on a mission going somewhere. It's a cliche that always works. So give me like as silly as I might be. And as, you know, playing into some uncomfortable tropes as it might be, put together a men in a mission like team and send them off to go kill like a bunch of zombies somewhere. And I'm probably intrigued as I am here. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I'm in the same boat as well. Like give me any type of man on a mission film, whether it be the yeah. dirty dozen or the expendables yeah. or anything. I'm all in, but I think what's interesting about this issue so far is that like you sort of mentioned before, compared to the previous issue, this one definitely goes for a much more serious tone compared yeah. to the previous ones, which kind of have more comedy and more ridiculousness to them. I mean, there is definitely ridiculous aspects in this one, particularly when we find out that the zombies somehow can actually breed and multiply. But so far, but even then, like the tone of it is definitely much more serious. Uh, Kate, Randy, and Red Hawk, they decide to go to scope out the where the, all the zombies are hanging out and they discover a massive tower that was built in 12 hours and it's 200 feet high. Red Hawk has a vibe from it that this is a very powerful tower that they have to do something about it. Then we go back to the base where the others are still there. They're sort of observing everything that is happening with the zombies, but then the zombies manage to 
get through the lasers sensors and this kind of gave me a vibe of uh aliens this this scene so they get their guns loaded they the zombies break in and they manage to kill a whole bunch of them and of course and they're fine and everything is back to normal and the sensors start working again then we go back to kate randy and red hawk they hear the shots being fired back at the base she radios in and finds out that from the others that it's okay everything's secure not to worry so as they're sort of getting checking out more of the tower they stumble across a woman with a under a huge sheet pushing a baby carriage so kate goes up to the woman knocks her out and the woman's like do anything you want to me but don't hurt my baby Randy is shocked by Kate's behavior in this scene. Of course, they have a bit of a fight about it. And as Red Hawk is looking into the baby carriage, she finds that the baby in the carriage is a zombie and the baby zombie <laughs> just flings itself at her. And then she manages to shoot it. And I like that pretty much Red Hawk's one-liner is, here, have some warm milk. And then <laughs> the woman escapes from kate and the others and kate shoots her and we find out that she's a zombie and that's one thing i kind of find interesting or at least i kind of wish the comic book kind of dived into a little bit more is that this zombie in particular can communicate like he can actually mm -hmm. talk rather than just saying hunger and we don't really see that aspect in the rest of this issue which i find kind of puzzling because that's a pretty big thing about the evolution of the zombies in this series but after that randy is not happy about what kate did so he hits her she pulls a gun out on him and they have a standoff and then red hawk gets in between them tells them to stop it so randy and kate have a truce later on they see that all the zombies are being drawn to the tower so they get up on top of a roof to have a closer look on what's going on and then they realize that the tower is made out of human corpses so they see the zombies coming towards the tower from their vantage point they see that three zombies one of them a woman having i guess sex <laughs> it's kind of hard to say because pretty much uh randy kind of describes that like yeah they're breeding but different orifices in her body open up to absorb the zombie's seed and and pretty much he goes into the description of the zombie's life cycle and how basically the zombies when they get impregnated and in the womb they're sort of ba a barely formed fetus but yet they mutate they come out as fully grown zombies and ex and of course blow up the the host's body in the process and i like the fact that as <laughs> randy's describing all this kate's like that is the most disgusting thing i've ever seen <laughs> and so from there they decide you know what we need to blow up this tower so they decide to do that however though they get back to the base then a giant parcel has been delivered to them and they're thinking oh what is this i'm like why did they drop this off and randy opens it up and it's his car and Kate's wondering, like, why did the, you bring your car here? And he's like, you know what? I, I, you are, I came here to advise. And pretty much as an advisor, I don't like the way this 
whole operation and you is being operated. This is a suicide mission. We shouldn't be doing this. And he basically just gets in his car and drives away. I don't, to me, that was like one of the funniest parts in the book is like his car was delivered all the way to Berlin. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to peace out and drive out of here. So Kate, of course, is annoyed by this, but the mission has to continue. So her and her comrades, they go to the tower, but then they get overcome by the zombies. Jimmy gets killed. As he's being killed, pretty much uh, his final words is, I have my revenge by the girl for my forefathers' foreskins. Ah! <laughs> and then Kate asks, like, what did he say? And Lunk's like, oh, I don't know, something about his foreskin, I think. And so they go through a catacomb underneath the tower. And again, zombies are coming out of the woodwork and attacking them. And like I said, there's definitely a lot of aliens influence in this yep. issue of the comic. And you're getting a lot of references to that. As all this is going on and they're battling the zombies, Walter gets taken by the zombies and is killed. So Red Hawk and Kate decide to get out of there. And Kate is just at the point is in shell shock because everything is going on around her she doesn't know what to do so red hawk takes her and asks lunk to come with him but lunk says that he's going to stay behind and use the cannon to kill as many of the zombies as he possibly can kate and red hawk go down a corridor and they start to set up explosives however though out of nowhere <laughs> a giant mutated creature that is made of all the different zombies put together uh, starts to attack him. And again, it's almost like as big as like the queen alien from Aliens in this scene. <laughs> Kate tries to shoot at this large creature, but then she just gets knocked out. And then Red Hawk gets grabbed by this huge creature. But then all of a sudden, Randy comes smashing in through the wall in his car, goes to grab Kate and he arc. And he tells Red Hawk he's going to come back for her, but Red Hawk tells him, nope, get out of here. Take Kate with you. I'm staying behind to blow up this tower. So they drive out of there, and Red Hawk sacrifices herself to kill off all the zombies, and including the giant one. And then later on, a few days later, back at the Scud base, we see that Kate and Randy are looking over the graves of their fallen comrades and i like the fact that if you read the the coffins uh jimmy's one just basically says his last word was foreskin um <laughs> <laughs> and then they sort of have a conversation both randy and kate kate tells Randy, you know what we have a bit of a habit working together so why don't we make this a permanent arrangement and team up together and go out into the world and fight any supernatural threats and then randy says and and this is the last line of the comic series is maybe and that's where the not only the third issue ends but also where the whole series ends as well so uh so trevor your thoughts on the second half of the comic 
Well, yeah. I mean, where do you go from here? You know, I can see why this ended it. You know, why they didn't do like any, any another run. You mentioned aliens, definitely mm-hmm. a huge aliens vibe. I think there's also a lot of Cronenberg in this issue because this oh, issue yeah. definitely gets into more body horror. I mean, when we first see like the triumvirate, the the, yeah. the trio that are breeding all the zombies, even the splash page of like the the zombie woman really reminded me of the Samantha Egger in the brew. Oh when yeah, you see her when she yeah, it like looks very much like that. And then, but I, I you, you mentioned something which I think is dead on, where you said the, the the part where they encounter like the pregnant zombie, the woman in the trench coat who can talk and has had this the zombie baby, and they just murder her. And we don't get anything more of that. And then, like a couple pages later, we get the triumvirate: these three zombies who somehow have mutated to like where the woman has orifices that open up and they spill their seed into her and they give birth to these fully grown zombies then a little bit later we see that those three can mutate into one zombie and then there's this Mm. tower made of human corpses i this issue really reads like they knew this was their last issue and they want they just were like we have a bunch of ideas let's just put them all in here we might never get to do another one of these yeah and that's fun for just like the fact that it's so propulsive and that there's just something new introduced to you every every page but I think you and I already hit on the unfortunate like byproduct of that is you lose the comedy. You know, there is the there is the joke about the foreskin with Jimmy Woo, like you said, which is really funny. But this issue comes at a time where I've now read the previous three issues. I've just finally gotten into the vibe of like what this book was, right? Especially that last issue. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a silly like parody book. And this issue drops the comedy almost entirely to just be this like really ridiculous like zombie mythology expanding issue which there's some cool visuals to it there's some like it's it's uh, some of the ideas they came up with especially the way Rollins draws them are neat i don't want to say it ends it on like it does it's not a lackluster ending cuz it's throwing so much action at you at the end it just feels like a, oddly out of place to like the previous mm. issues so I, I think this issue is fine, especially like on an artistic basis. You know, the, the mission is like cool looking. There's some really like, like the the illustrations of the zombies, especially when they mutate together, are actually pretty cool. Um, so there's still like some neat stuff to look at here. But like I said, this just isn't my favorite issue, I think, because the humor is not necessarily there. And it just does become this kind of more generic men on a mission story with a bunch of like mythology stuff thrown at you so fast. They, they don't take the time to slow down and explain any of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, you know what? Saying that it pretty much does kind of add so much to the story with the mythology of the zombies and how they work and this tower and this with them breeding. Like, I think you're right. I would be surprised though. Like maybe this comic was going to have more issues and they would have dived into more of these aspects a lot more, but given Mm -hmm. that they only had, I don't know if they were only given four issues to do, or maybe the comic wasn't selling as well as they were hoping for and they pretty much thought oh we'll make the next issue the last one so it was like oh well i guess all these ideas we had for an ongoing series we might as well have them all in this last issue at least put the series out on a satisfying note so it feels complete by the end of this issue so yeah like compared to the other two other issues that we've covered for this episode it really does have a lot or I would say it's overplotted in terms of all the things it wants to do in this one. And like I said before, like compared to the previous three issues, the tone of this one definitely is going for a much more serious vibe compared mm-hmm. to the others and making you want to care about the characters, especially the other members of Kate's team. It does feel totally jarring compared to like going from issue three, which is basically set into a theme park into this one i mean i still enjoyed it over this one overall 
Yeah, I did say out of all the issues we've covered from this series, this one is definitely my least favorite, even though I did mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it it's interesting to see all the ideas they have, but it does feel rushed. And I like, mm. you know, it's it's funny to say that about a comic that's so like silly on its on its face. And as we said, you can't take any of the the eternal logic seriously anyways. Yeah. So it's hard to complain and get to like the last issue and be like, I don't know, they're not explaining anything. Well, of course they're not. This isn't really that kind of book. But if you read mm. them all, you'll see what we mean about how it's just there's a difference between having like a singular joke, like, oh, zombies loose in a theme park or zombies loose on a movie set and being able to devote an entire issue to it. Mm. And then having that same length of issue and being like, okay, we've now got like a hundred different ideas and cramming them all in. And the issue just can't kind of slow down and, and sell any of those ideas in the same kind of way. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But uh, I guess that could be a wrap on our discussion of the 1994 comic miniseries of Night of the Living Dead. And uh, Trevor, your final thoughts overall on the comic book series. And should people give this comic a read if they're interested? Yeah, it's weird. It's My final thoughts are complicated, especially for this show, which is meant to be a mm. show about, you know, spinoffs and remakes and reimaginings of Night of the Living Dead, right? And I think as a Night of the Living Dead, as a piece of Night of the Living Dead related IP or ancillary media, this is a, this completely misses the mark, right? And I actually, mm. as I said, I think this is a very cynical exploitation of the name, of just mm. sticking that name on a totally unrelated zombie comic that's doing its own thing and is nowhere near the world of Romero. I don't think Romero would enjoy this. You know, it's not, you can, you can stick his name on a truck all you want. I don't think this is like what he would be, um, you know, intrigued by in his, in the zombie universe that he's created. So it's not a good Night of the Dead comic book. Now you ask though, do I think people should check it out? Especially if what, what we've said has made them interested. Yeah, sure. Why not? It is a fun book. You just have to come at it with the right mindset. I think mm. if you look at this as whether, whether intentional or not, it works as parody of the over-exaggerated hyperbolic 90s comic style you know it's Mm. everything about this like the comedy the satire the machismo the sexuality the the musculature of the characters the scantily clad women in every panel that are always bending over in just the right way the extreme violence it's all very very silly and i think if you can vibe with the silliness it's a fun read and it's a fast read you know i read all four of these in like under an hour this morning it's not it's not like going to be like a a, 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 you're not committing a lot of your time to this so why not check it out if you're into zombie comics i've certainly read worse um and i think here's how i'll wrap it up I don't want to give too much away because I know we're going to look at some of these, but I think I even mentioned this in the last issue, uh, the last episode we did together. I think one of the most boring things people can do with like the Night of the Living Dead name or like their tributes to Romero is just do another story where they go, well, okay, I guess there's people in a location and zombies attack and then they have to fight them off, you know. And I mm. and I, you know, I know you've probably watched dozens of movies that just do that, right? They're like, well, oh, yeah. for Romero, and and it's it's really boring, right? And there's if there's one thing you could say about this book is it's not boring, <laughs> and it's mm. not just doing that. It's actually got a lot of crazy ideas, and it's willing to throw them all at you. And I think that's what makes it interesting is even though I think it's not paying tribute to the actual Night of the Dead property, at least it's not just doing another, oh, sort of strangers in a farmhouse. This has some really crazy stuff in it. And that's what makes it entertaining. Yeah, I can agree with that overall. Like it is very much just... Uh, at least using the title of Night of the Living Dead is definitely there for cynical brand recognition rather than actually trying to attempt to make this comic book series linked to Night of the Living Dead. I think if they were going 
if they were going to use that title, maybe they probably would have should have made a bit more of an effort to have it linked. Like even when throughout this series, like that when the the black room agents talk about the satellite, they do talk about hopefully this type of thing doesn't happen again. Like they talk about like a similar mm. thing happened before, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe that's kind of the link to the original Night of the Living Dead. Like this is set years later or something like that. But we don't really get it doesn't really dive into that mm-hmm. as much, which I think is kind of uh, disappointing, but on its own for what it is outside of its title, I do enjoy, I mean, I really enjoyed th- this comic series overall. It's a comic book series that knows exactly what it is. It plays up its silliness and you can definitely tell that it is very deliberate in its approach to being ridiculous as we talked about there are moments where the comic book breaks the fourth wall or this has over-the-top violence and kind of just parodies certain things so you could definitely tell that the the makers behind this comic knew exactly what they were making and they just go full bore with it and i i enjoyed every single issue overall i think each one kind of brings something to the series overall but if i had to pick my personal favorite issue it would definitely be issue two when they're at the mm-hmm. theme park i bet just found that one to be the most fun but overall i would say people should give this one a read like even though yes outside of the title it doesn't have anything to do with anything night of the living dead but then again given this show i've covered so many night of the living dead products that barely even have a link to the original film or just have a very loose definition of a link so this comic book series is no different, but on its own, it's still an enjoyable read. And I think if you enjoy zombie comics, I'd say give this one a bit of a read. It is pretty fun. It's ridiculous. It's silly, but it's a quick read and and an enjoyable yeah. one overall. Yeah. The other comparison that just popped in my head is if you're wondering if you're like a comic, if you're a regular comic reader, maybe you haven't read a lot of zombie comics, but I would say if you enjoy Lobo, I think like mm. that's like a real like especially the Lobo comics of the 90s, which were also like meant to be especially like, you know, the early days, of the character uh, Lobo started as really mo- like a parody of the over the top ridiculous nature of like late 80s and 90s extremism in comics. And then it kind yeah. of became that thing where Lobo became almost a parody of himself as it went along. But I think this book is like pitched at like what a lot of those early Lobos were of just, again, kind of make, like making fun of that stuff by pushing it so over the top that you just can't help but like laugh at it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, I'd say everyone, if you're interested, definitely check out this comic book. I would say like compared to like the last time we got together to talk about comic books, I would say it's very similar to Barbara Zombie Chronicles. But I think even though I did enjoy that series for what it is, but I feel like this series did what that comic book was trying to do a lot better. Yeah, like, I like this a lot more than Barbara Zombie Chronicles. Yeah, exactly. me too. Me too. But um, yeah, that could be a wrap on this conversation of the 1994 comic book series of Night of Living Dead. However, though, the show's not quite over just yet because I bring it back a little segment of the show that I haven't done in quite a while. And it is finally making its return this year. And that, of course, is the segment The Living Dead Unreleased. Now, for all those who have forgotten what this little segment is, now, as we all know, Night of the Living Dead has had so many different remakes, 
homages or re-edits throughout the years. And there's been so many different ones, and a lot of them I have covered on this show. What a lot of people don't realize, there, there are so many other remakes of Night of the Living Dead that were in development, but either didn't get made or they never got released. So we're going to be diving into one of those for this little segment, which for a film that I was hoping I would cover on this show at some point in the future. And there is a possibility that maybe it will get released one day, but haven't heard anything quite a while on this one. So I thought, you know what, this will be the perfect one to, as a comeback for this segment. And that, of course, is the film Night of the Living Dead 2, which is a film that's directed by Marcus Slabine. And this sequel to the original 68 film actually features quite a number of cast members from Day of the Dead, including Laurie Cardwell, Terry Alexander, and Jarliff Conroy, but also features David Howard Fortin, aka Art the Clown, as a main zombie in the film. And the plot summary for this sequel is... Night of the Living Dead 2 takes place on a remote island where a small group of survivors of a zombie apocalypse take shelter, only to face fresh terror when the flesh eaters find their way ashore. Now, this film was announced back in 2001, and it got a lot of buzz, being that the fact that a couple of the main actors from Day of the Dead are going to be starring in the major in major roles in it, and also David Howard Fortin fresh off the Terrifier films is also going to be starring in it. This is a film where everything was announced for it. A lot of websites picked it up. There's also an official website that was launched, an official Facebook, Twitter, and there was a couple news bits about it, including uh, a teaser and as well as, and a couple of uh, set photos were released as well, including David Howard Fortin as the zombie that he would be playing in the film and that from what i read his zombie is going to be known as shark bait zombie all this news came out in 2001 and the official website says that the movie is coming soon but we're now in 2004 and since 2001 there still hasn't been any more news about this film like you go to the official twitter page and facebook accounts for this film And there's been no updates whatsoever. The official website has not had any updates on it as well. And people are even asking in the comments section of even Facebook, like what happened to the film? Has it been canceled? Is it not being made? Or is it still being made, but production is just taking a lot longer than necessary? So this is a mystery I've been trying to figure out. And I've been diving into to find out if there has been any more news on this film. But so far in my travels, I just haven't been able to find anything. So my question is for you, Trevor, your thoughts on this sequel to Night of the Living Dead from the potential of this quote-unquote unofficial sequel, but also the the story around it. Like, what is happening with this film? Yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of these movies seem like they, you know, I'm never surprised when these like little smaller independent horror movies kind of just don't get released. I think, you yeah. know, if you follow the scene enough, you know, this happens quite a bit where a movie can be made or can be very close to being finished. And that last piece of financing falls through or a distribution deal falls through and then it just ends up sitting there. And we never get to see it, you know, so that's not that's 
usually that wouldn't be shocking to me. I think you're right that the names attached to make it surprising that this one has not come out, you know, just mm. you'd think pure curiosity alone would get some people interested to get this finished and, and get it out in front of people. In terms of the movie itself, like obviously we only have that little teaser, which didn't really show anything. We've only got some photos and like what we've read about to go off of. I guess my main question with this one, you know, we just talked about the cynical usage of the, the Night of the Living Dead name sometimes is why is this being called Night of the Living Dead 2 when it's quite clearly Day of the Dead 2? You mm. know, like, like uh, it's just, again, this is like a misappropriation of the name. Now, granted, it, it sure looks like they're still trying to make an unofficial sequel to a different movie in the Romero universe. So obviously it's still yeah. Romero related. It'll be very interesting to see. Like, I always wonder about this because... They're very cagey in all their press material, I noticed, to say, like, yeah, we have the, the cast members of Day of the Dead, and yet they're living on an island where some of the zombies show up, and we all know Day of the Dead ended with them on the island. But I noticed that it never says their character names, <laughs> so mm. I wonder if they're just, they never mention their names in this movie, or they have different names, so it's kind of like, you can watch it and accept it as a sequel to Day of the Dead. But you can also, they've got the legal background to say, no, 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 wait, wait, it's not Day of the Dead, right? Because Day of the Dead is not in public domain, like Night of the Dead mm. is, I believe. I believe Day of the Dead is also owned by Richard Rubenstein, so you have to be like a little bit more careful with that. But I, I, I think it's neat that they got the original cast. But at the same time, it's weird. I never want to tell those, look, if you were in like, if you're these actors, if you're Laurie Cardill, if you're the other, you know, cast members of Day of the Dead and someone comes to you and offers you money to make this movie, you might as well take it, you know, make that bag when you can. But there's always something kind of like disheartening to me about these unofficial sequels, <laughs> the, the, the movies from that the original filmmaker has nothing to do with. Mm. So I would watch this probably out of like a morbid curiosity but the fact that someone got the Day of the Dead actors and said, I'm just going to make a Day of the Dead sequel, but Romero has nothing to do with it. Uh, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of when like um, Michael Paré did that like weird Streets of Fire sequel. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Yeah. So it's it's that wasn't really a Streets of Fire sequel because Walter Hill had nothing to do with it. It's that same kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, if it gets made or if it well, it did get made, <laughs> if it comes out, yes, I'll watch it. But I think I'll watch it probably with my guard up. And I'll probably mm. come to it with the same level of cynicism, I think, that they had making it. And especially, like I said, using Night of the Dead 2 as a title when really it's clearly not that. Yeah, I could agree with that as well. I wouldn't be surprised like this is technically a quote unquote Day of the Dead sequel. But mm -hmm. like you say, since Day of the Dead as a title is still owned by Richard Rubenstein... I could imagine that it they just slapped Night of the Living Dead 2 title on there. So it's in the same universe, but it's more of a sequel to Day of the Dead. And you're right, though, because if you look up with the cast members, there is no names of their characters. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is a case like they want people to think, oh, yeah, the actors from Day of the Dead are in this film, but they're kind of holding back the character names so people won't know that it is a sequel to Day of the Dead, or at least that's my assumption. But that being said, though, I would be surprised if, like, it's kind of like a mixture. Maybe it kind of it's like a a sequel to Day of the Dead, but it has different characters just played by the same actors. I can definitely see that for sure. But I think it's just interesting that even though, yeah, we do have set photos and a teaser and and all that, and there's a lot of promotion for this film. It's like we have not heard a single thing about it since 2001 and i'm just sort of wondering like what is happening with this film and the only thing i can think of in terms of i, I mean i don't know whether they started shooting 
and or maybe finish the entire film or if it's halfway through shooting and maybe funding fell through but one other thing i think may have put a damper on this film and this is again pure speculation from me is that back in 2002 at the end of 2002 uh mgm bought the rights to a sequel to night of the living dead that also george a romero's company is involved with the making of and it has uh Nick Yatu Jusu, the director of the acclaimed indie horror film Nanny, attached to direct it. And not only that, she's also going to co-write the film with one of the writers from the Walking Dead TV series. And mm. like I say, George A. Romero's company is involved with this film. So I've been seeing a lot of this in terms of the the George A. Romero Foundation being more involved with some of these Night of Living Dead projects, because as we see, like, one thing I'm going to be talking about in a future episode of the show down the track is Bloody Disgusting's uh, The Dead radio drama series that was also has the George A. Romero Foundation involved having telling stories within the world of Night of the Living Dead. I wouldn't be surprised that given that this one that they're involved with, which they are calling Night of the Living Dead 2, I wouldn't be surprised if now that this one has been officially announced, maybe the makers behind Night of the Living, it kind of shut down that other indie Night of the Living Dead 2 film. Again, this is only pure speculation from me, but I just found it interesting that within a year, over a year after the announcement of that film, this actual proper sequel was announced like a year later. There's also like the Brad Anderson Twilight of the Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to bring that up as well, because they're also involved with that, and that will be the final film in the franchise. So maybe all these different projects that the George A. Romero Foundation are involved with put a kibosh on this indie sequel. But again, I mean, it hasn't really stopped other filmmakers before on capitalizing on Night of the Dead. So you might, I think you might be onto something there, though, with this, like maybe this one definitely seems like something that could, the the, the biggest hurdle could be something legal, whether Mm. it's that, whether it's them getting stopped because of like, you know, more quote unquote official Night of the Dead sequels coming, or even like now I think about, like I mentioned, I'm pretty sure I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Rubenstein has the Day of the Dead rights as well. Mm. And maybe if they did, you know, maybe he finally caught wind of this and maybe these actors were playing their Day of the Dead characters and that was enough for him to be like, well, wait a minute, you can't make a Day of the Dead sequel and just call it Night of the Dead 2. I have the rights to those characters, you know? And that could be a thing where that maybe they got very far along before checking on the the legality of actually using these characters and calling them these names and and maybe that, you know, put a kibosh on it too. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing because... I, I'm guessing you probably have had this conversation with others on your show before, mm-hmm. but like one thing I want to say to all these filmmakers is first of all, Night of the Dead 2 is a very funny title to use in general because I think yep. most fans are always just going to think of Dawn of the Dead as Night of the Dead yeah. 2. You know, it's like to us, that movie already exists, mm-hmm. but also you're instantly, if you are a young filmmaker who's inspired by Romero and loves zombies and wants to make your own zombie movie, that's fine. I think I mean, go off and do it. The world can use more zombie movies. But you're always shooting yourself in the foot by trying to attach yourself to Romero's universe, I think. Because I know in my life, I've watched so many cheap, stupid, dumb, (laughs) you know, independent zombie movies, and I've enjoyed a good number of them. Mm. But if I, when I watch the ones that call themselves a remake of The Living Dead or a sequel to The Living Dead or those like atrocious Day of the Dead sequels that came out before, like Day of the Dead Contagion and things like that, 
when you like attach yourself to the original Romero franchise and and use his original titles and act like you're somehow affiliated, it makes me that like hate your movie that much more. You know what I mean? I give you like no benefit of doubt and it's like really setting you up for failure. So like I said, I would watch this if it came out, but I just think maybe the whole thing was misguided from the beginning. Mm. And and then I think, Pete, I think you might be onto something that I definitely see this one getting shut down because the Romero Foundation is like, no, 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 we can't crowd. We don't want to confuse the marketplace. We have our own actual so-called official Romero sequels coming out. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel like that could be the reason. And maybe that's probably why we haven't heard anything because of legal reasons. It's kind of similar to like, uh, yeah, Kung Fu Fury 2. I know that was made a while ago, and the reason why that hasn't been released yet, it was due to legal reasons due to funding. So that's why that long-awaited, big-budget, feature-length sequel hasn't been released yet, is because they're still working on the legal aspects of it. That being said, though, maybe that's kind of the same thing here, too. So maybe this film is already finished, it is just under lock and key somewhere until something gets sorted out. But then again, maybe it'll just get it'll just drop on all of us at some point in the future unexpectedly uh, without any fanfare whatsoever and then we could judge it for ourselves then so if it ever does i will make sure to cover it for this show and also the other previous iterations i've talked about for this segment as well in the past because i know quite a few versions of night of the living dead have been made but they were never released due to specific reasons yeah, that I guess sense. my I guess my question for you, Pete, is like if this movie was out right now, I know it's called Not Even Dead Two, but like, would you would you feel like you should do it for your Not Even Dead episodes, or would you have to wait till you're in your like Day of the Dead run of episodes? That is a good point. Like, I guess I'd have to watch it first and kind of decide from there because yeah, if it if it is a legit Day of the Dead sequel, just called with the Night of the Living Dead title. Maybe I would have to put it aside when I go to the Day of the Dead section of this show. Yeah. But then again, it does have the Night of the Living Dead title, so I would have I to... <laughs> it's definitely the conundrum, so I'm going to have to wait and see on this one. If it ever Maybe does. that's why they didn't. Maybe they didn't release it because they just didn't want to confuse you. Yeah, well, that too. And also, since I'm doing this show, <laughs> and maybe they'd sort of like, oh, geez, we don't want B to review our movie on their show in case he hates it. So maybe we'll just... <laughs> Keep it under lock and key. But, yeah. you know, I've, discussed, I've talked about many different versions of Night of the Living Dead for this show, from the good to the bad to the halfway decent, and even the micro-budget indie ones that are out there. For me personally, have actually been not too bad. But mm -hmm. even then, though, I, I, I am down for any version of Night of the Living Dead, especially for this show, because it gives me more material to talk about. But in terms of this one, I, I just find it fascinating. This this movie might be my Roman Empire, Trevor. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm at least thinking about whatever happened to this film. It's either this or whatever happened to the director of Lake Mungo. Those are my Roman Empires at the moment. <laughs> The, the the entire creative community is out there fighting for the release of Coyote versus Acme and Beat is like, yeah, but let's get Night of Living Dead 2 out there. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> release them all, damn it. But anyways, yeah. though, I guess that could be a wrap for this episode of Beat versus the Living Dead. And thank you so much, Trevor, for coming back on the show and talking about both the 94 Night of Living Dead comic and also this uh, segment with me. 
of course. Yeah, it was a, a pleasure. I love doing this show. Uh, I'm glad there's uh, still a crap load more Night of the Dead comics and, and more zombie movies for us to talk about. So thanks I'll, for having me on again. I'll definitely, definitely. Like, you will definitely be back for another comic yeah. book episode in the future. And I look forward to... Actually, you'll be on most of them. Because I know you... When yeah. I put my list out there and said it to you, you put your name down on a couple of movies, both on the main show, but also the... Mm-hmm. Uh, bonus episodes but it was really like yep just put me down for most of the comic book series <laughs> yeah i wanted to be there for you for those for those uh journeys so exactly exactly so i appreciate it i'm appreciative of that and um but until then though uh trevor where can people find you on the internet this week but also listen to your podcast uh failure to franchise yeah, you can check out the podcast, Failure to Franchise, um, which is uh, me and my buddy Chris, uh, bi-weekly podcast where we look at movies that were meant to start uh, franchises. And for whatever reason, whether it was box office failure or critical failure or the audience is just not showing up, or sometimes they were successful movies and just the sequel still didn't happen. Um, so we that's you know we do we try to do like theme months. We just wrapped up looking at all three Punisher movies that were made because none of them got real sequels. Uh, we're heading into some theme months where we're going to be looking at like the 98 Godzilla and D-War Dragon Wars. That's our monster March Madness. Uh, theme I, I, I look forward to that. And I did enjoy yeah. your guys' uh, series on the, the Punisher films. That was a fun yeah. listen. Yeah, so it's, you know, in, a, in an era that's obsessed with, you know, sequels and franchises and IP, it's it's fun to look at the movies that, you know, were uh, so, like, clearly begging for that and, and didn't happen for one reason or another. And some of them are really, some of them we say we're glad to get sequels, and some of them we're obviously really bummed out. You know, there's also the the dreads of the world and the, the mm. John Carters and, you know, the Streets of Fire, like I said, the movies that I we actually like and would like to see more of. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that out. And then for me, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Trev3K you can find me on letterbox also trev 3k and read my reviews i i I tend to write uh probably two long reviews about a lot of movies i watch on letterbox um so go ahead and follow me there as well um and yeah uh, that's 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 my main online hangout so definitely come say hi and uh we can talk zombies we can talk comics we can talk failed uh, franchise starters whatever awesome and if people want to find me personally out there on social media you can find me on twitter blue sky and letterboxd under feed jermaine you can follow all my work and as well as all the other podcasts that i co-host over at supermarcy.com and as well as the podcast feed the super network and in terms of this show you can follow bead versus the living dead and as well as its spin-off show bead and steve versus camp crystal lake on all podcast streamers everywhere via the bead versus the living dead podcast feed and on social media you can follow this show or both shows, I should say, on Twitter and Blue Sky under Bead VSTLD, and as well as Facebook under Bead versus the Living Dead. So, yep, that is a wrap for this 30th milestone episode of Bead versus the Living Dead. Once again, I hope you all enjoyed this one and come back in two weeks' time for episode 31, in which I'll finally dive into the extended Khan cut and Dario Gento's zombie cut of the original Dawn of the Dead. So stay tuned for that episode, everyone, and I'll see you all next time. See you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at Beat VSTLD. 
The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.